We're going to be turning this morning to the Gospel of John chapter 20. We're going to be looking at uh, Jesus, seeing Jesus in His resurrection devotion to His church. So a familiar passage we'll be looking at together. Gospel of John chapter 20, and we'll be reading the first 29 verses together. Uh, but before we begin, just as a brief word, I just want to thank uh, this congregation on behalf of our family for the ways we've been loved and blessed, uh, the love of Christ shown to us for 12 years. Uh, the Lord has blessed us richly through you. Uh, we love you dearly, and we're thankful. Uh, though the Lord is calling us elsewhere, uh, we are going to the same city in the end, and uh, uh, we are deeply grateful we serve the same Lord, and He is faithful. Well, let's turn together to John chapter 20 and hear now uh, the Word of our living God to us. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid Him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lined with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's ask God for his blessing on his word. Lord, our God, we pray that you would bless us by this, your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the risen and ascended one, and that right now you are reigning over all things in heavenly glory. You see us and know us. You have given us your Holy Spirit, and we pray that you, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would bless us now by your word. Help us to see you, to know you more fully. We pray that you would change us by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the accounts of uh, this day and the days prior are really an account of some of the darkest days, in a way, of the history of the church, aren't they? We could think back to the beginning. There's a dark day in the history of the church when Adam and Eve fall into sin. It's a dark day. It's a day where all looks lost. It's a hard day. You could go forward, Cain killing his brother Abel, a dark day in the history of the church. You could imagine for Adam and Eve what grief there was, uh, what dismay, just how depressed and, and sad and overwhelmed they must have felt that day. Or Noah and his family as he's preaching and preaching, and nobody listens in all of civilization around him. And, and the flood comes and begins and it seems to be such a dark time in the history of the church. The days of Elijah, everybody seems to be going and worshiping Baal, and Elijah feels like he's the last one standing. Hard times in the life of the church. Well, the same is true for all of us, isn't it? There are times where we experience dark days. Sometimes it's because of our own sin. Sometimes it's the sin of people we love that are close to us. Circumstances of life seem hard. And may we read the media headlines and we see our culture accelerating, rebellion against God, and we see scandals in the church, we see wars, economies getting shaky, and we wonder and we worry, and maybe we worry about the future of the church, our children, our grandchildren. Well, if there was ever a day that seemed like a dark day to the church, it's certainly Good Friday, isn't it? The day that Jesus dies on the cross. 
And we see the account of that in all four of the Gospels, the day of the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, where Jesus, uh, we know, the perfect high priest, He offers Himself up. He's the Lamb who was slain. Uh, He suffered on that cross for hours that day. And yet, we, as we see Him suffering there, He's still ministering in the midst of His suffering. But as He's dying, as He moves into the depth of that cross work, darkness covers everything. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then He cries out, it is finished. And He commits His Spirit into the hands of the Father. And Jesus There on that day in this world, in what is today the country of Israel, outside that city, He died there. His soul left His body. He was dead on the cross, His body hanging there. The Roman soldier pierces His side, His body is taken down and later buried by two of His disciples. Now, in John chapter 20, the Saturday Sabbath is over, and Jesus, by His Word and Spirit for us here, marvelously brings us back to see, as His people, what unfolds here. And He really brings us the vantage of the women and the disciples, and helps us through their eyes and through His Word recording this to see Him as He is in His resurrection, glory, and love. Well, John chapter 20 tells us this, verse 1, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. We know the women had been gathered there right around the cross. Uh, The women were uh, some of the ones who stayed the longest, even in the threat of danger. They were there while Jesus was dying even though the disciples, other disciples had fled. And now early on Sunday morning, as soon as they could after the Sabbath was finished, Mary Magdalene and other women are now coming back to the tomb. Uh, They're hoping to be able to anoint Jesus' body with spices, a practice of this time of honoring and caring for the body of a loved one that you're laying in the grave. Like the other women and the disciples, uh, we know that Mary Magdalene is undoubtedly shattered. She is full of grief at the suffering and death of Jesus. You know, Mary Magdalene, uh, Mark notes to us in his gospel, was the one from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. She'd experienced marvelous deliverance, amazing change in her life. Christ had brought her to salvation, to new life, delivered her from the grip of sin and darkness and demonic oppression, from a wrecked life. And she, she loved Jesus dearly. As she had been with Him, she saw His holiness. He was a man unlike any other man she had ever met in His integrity, and His goodness, and now she had seen Him die, and she, like the rest of the disciples and the other women, thought it was all over. It was the end. 
all of their hopes and dreams gone. The one who had lived among them, who was so good, so holy, so pure, kind, faithful, and righteous, the one who had such amazing power to heal people, power to deliver people from the bondage and grip of sin and evil in their lives, power to provide, power to uh, reign over wind and waves and storms over creation. This one had been arrested, abused, crucified, had died, and had been buried in a tomb. And the details of every gospel confirm the weighty reality of this to us, don't they? And so, for the women, for Mary, the disciples, not only was there the profound grief of the loss of their dearest friend, this wonderful man, the Son of God, there is also the shock, this crushing weight in their minds of reality that everything has gone wrong. The, the whole world has gone wrong. It can't be worse than this. Jesus is dead. Jesus is gone. And this is the vantage that the apostle brings us into by the Holy Spirit as we vividly read these words. Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb early while it's still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And Mary's immediate thought is this, have these ruling authorities not been content with murdering Jesus? Now even His body has been stolen away? Like the depth of indignity, how could this happen? He's already died. Now they've taken His body out of the grave. It's gone. Mary's overwhelmed by yet another trouble. This is grief upon grief. This is a whole nother layer of anguish. It is deep. It is dark. And she goes, overwhelmed by this. She goes, and she runs, and she tells Peter and the other disciple, who is the disciple John, verse 2, the one who Jesus loved, and she tells them, she says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid Him. Peter and John now spring into action. We read this, so Peter went out with the other disciple. They were both going towards the tomb. Both of them are running together. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Do you notice what's happening here in these first two verses? There's all this movement. I mean, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb early in the morning. And now these disciples there, they are running to the tomb. What's motivating all of this movement? What's motivating this action that we're seeing taking place here? We know they're sad, they're shaken, they're shocked. Uh, it doesn't seem that things could have gotten worse, and yet it's gotten even worse than it was. 
But what is it that's tugging them, pulling them, hurrying them to the tomb, to the grave? Isn't it that even though Mary and the disciples don't remember what Jesus taught them, promised them that they love Him, they do love Him. There's this pull, this tug of love. They had hoped in Him. They'd, they trusted that He was the Messiah. They're full of grief, despair. They're, they're shaken. They feel like there is no hope left in this world at all, a flat zero. But their running, their movement, their direction is driven by love. It's love for Christ that's pulling them to the tomb. And it wasn't always so in their lives, was it? You know, there was a time when the disciples were not disciples. There was a time when they did not know Jesus. They did not follow Him. They did not love Him. They did not care about Him. But then He called them to Himself. There was a time where Mary Magdalene's heart and life were so consumed and dominated by sin, by selfishness, by evil, and deep despair and misery to the extent that she was under the influence of these seven demons. She was dead to Christ. She was dead to God, totally dead to Him. But now, Mary Magdalene loved Jesus. She knew Jesus had brought her new life and somehow peace with God. She knew He, she knew he was kind and holy and the one who had spoken these marvelous words. That she taught Him so many marvelous things, and, and yet we know there's so much that Mary had forgotten, wasn't there? There were things that Mary didn't understand yet at this point from what He had said. And there was fear, doubt, unbelief, all mixed up with her faith in Christ. And it seemed at this point to have pretty much extinguished it. Now, this is often the reality when God's people go through hard times and through suffering, when we do, when you and I do. Uh, when we start to see just the darkness of this world and we lose sight of God and of His Word. At times, we're just like Mary and the disciples here, aren't we? But so beautifully evident here is that despite all of Mary's spiritual confusion and even her sin that remained in her, there's this abiding love for Jesus. There is this tug and this pull. The Apostle John, reflecting years later on this, because he's in the midst of this as well, he's running to the tomb with Peter, uh, reflected on this in his first epistle, 1 John 4, verse 19, we love, why? Because He first loved us. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son for us. Let me ask you this morning, what about you? 
Do you have that tug, that pull in your life? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Despite your weariness in life, despite the stresses, the griefs that you carry, despite the sin that so easily rises up in your own heart and starts to choke out your Christian life, do you have this tug? Do you have this pull in your life to come to Jesus? If you can say, yes, I do, I wish I had it more. I wish it was stronger. I wish it was more often. But yes, I do. You know, that's a beautiful testimony to the Lord's gracious saving work in us because love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. If you have this love in your heart and in your life, this tug, that is supernatural. That's the work of God's new creation, His power at work in you. And it's marvelous, and it's beautiful. Praise God for it. If you look in your own heart and life and you don't have that tug, well, the answer is to run to God and say, oh, God, change me, save me, help me. Give me this new life and this new love with the rest of your people. Well, back to our text. In verse 5, we see the other disciple, as John modestly refers to himself, has now outrun Peter back to the tomb. Uh, He looks in and he sees the linen cloth body wrappings lying there. The tomb's empty. The body is gone. And Peter, uh, who comes after, characteristically doesn't stop at the entrance. He runs right in. He sees the linens, the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself, verse 7. This doesn't fit with Jesus' body having been stolen or even have been buried somewhere else. And John, we read, as he sees it, it says, John saw and believed. As John sees the empty tomb with the cloths lying there, he believes, he knows. And he explains the reason why he, John the apostle, only believed at that moment. And why the rest didn't yet? It was because they, to that point, including himself, didn't understand the Scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Jesus had told them, John chapter 10, for this reason the Father loves me, because I'm going to lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus had said publicly, referring to His own body, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. The Apostle John reminds us here, and beautifully and comfortingly, brothers and sisters, there are times where we don't get it. We don't get what God is doing in our lives. We don't understand, we are struggling, but our Lord is always true to His Word. 
He is always faithful. He always does what He says He will do. What He says always comes to pass. His Word is rock solid, regardless of our slowness to believe. He is ever faithful. And this is a beautiful comfort for us. We are weak, but He is strong and faithful. In verse 10, we see Peter and John leave the empty tomb, and they go back to their homes, and now we're about to see the first marvelous resurrection appearance of Jesus as He reveals Himself to Mary Magdalene in verses 8, 11 through 18. In verse 11, beginning in verse 11, we read this, but Mary stood there weeping outside the tomb. The two disciples have gone back home. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. Mary is still in the place of dark despair. Her grief is so overwhelming, she doesn't even seem to realize that she's talking to two angels sitting there in blazing white. Angels in whose sight Christ has been carrying out His great work of redemption. She says to them in brokenness, in grief, clouded by darkness, they've taken away my Lord. My last hope has been taken away from me. Her love is still there. Her love, though, in a sense, lies almost buried with her last view of Jesus, dead and buried, now gone. But now in verse 14, we're brought to see what John has just come to believe. Here in verse 14 is Jesus. Jesus alive, Jesus risen from the dead, the same Jesus who today in His full humanity is seated in heavenly glory, the one who laid down His life for the sheep has taken it up again. Well, Mary turns around from responding to the angels at the entrance of the tomb, and she sees Jesus standing there, but she doesn't see. She's still blinded. She didn't know it was Jesus. Again, her grief is so deep, she is settled in the conviction that it would be impossible for Jesus to be standing there. It's just not possible. Hadn't the mocking thief from the other cross yelled out, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. And Jesus hadn't. He died there in agony. Instead, the one who was able to do so much had died on the cross. And now as Mary stands here weeping, Jesus speaks. And he repeats the words of the angels, woman, why are you weeping? Mary couldn't grasp that Jesus had risen. She can't see him. And now we see that Mary can't even hear him. 
She's blind to Jesus. She's deaf to Jesus. As a Christian, she's blind and deaf to Jesus at this point in her life. Even though Jesus speaks to her. And then Jesus calls her by name. Jesus said to her, Mary. And again, these verses are such a good reminder for us spiritually. There are times for all of us, it's true of myself, I'm sure it's true of all of you, where we have sat in these pews, God's Word has been proclaimed to us, and even as believers, it has floated past our ears. We have been blind and deaf to God. We've been dull. We've been covered by darkness. could be for a variety of spiritual reasons. And then other times... So graciously, God speaks, and He calls, and He works by His Spirit, and He brings us back again. Or maybe you can remember the first time you were listening to a sermon or reading your Bible, and suddenly it came alive, and you heard, this is who God is. Well, this is what happens here to Mary. Jesus says, Mary, and suddenly her ears are opened she hears it's the voice of Jesus, and this fits with who Jesus is. Jesus said, I call my sheep by name, and the sheep recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd. It's beautiful. Jesus Christ, God the Son, knows all of us by name, every single one of us. He knows us, and He calls His people to Himself, knowing them. And it's as Jesus does so, Mary's eyes are suddenly opened, and she sees. It is Jesus. It's her Savior. He's the one standing before her and speaking to her. Mary's just overwhelmed. She says to Him in Aramaic, this word, Rabboni, that means teacher, this word of endearment and respect and love. It's you, Jesus. You, my teacher of life. This is such a reminder to us. We need our Lord to speak to us. Treasure His Word. Treasure your Bible. You know, those devotional times that so easily when life can get busy and we're tired, guard those with jealousy. It's your opportunity to come to the presence of the living God and hear His voice. Love the worship of God. We need it ourselves. Our families need to hear the voice of Jesus. Our kids do. Our friends do. And so, what a blessing, what a privilege for us to be instruments to carry God's Word and speak God's Word to each other and be instruments of His voice to one another. Well, the beautiful thing that we see here is that Jesus delights to come. Uh, He delights to come to weak, sinful, struggling sheep. In fact, it's Jesus' first priority on His resurrection. You you might think, uh, you know, if, if somebody murdered me, and I was raised, uh, wouldn't I perhaps think, maybe in a spirit of ungodly vengeance, I would like to appear to them first? 
and make them tremble? Uh, or you might think Jesus, as, as He was raised from the dead, wouldn't it, wouldn't it maybe make sense that He would appear in the temple in glory and majesty in the center of the city of Jerusalem? But what do we see? Jesus' first priority, His number one priority on the cusp, right on the edge of His resurrection life, is to go and find His beloved sheep, to go to His people. That's how much He loves His saints, His people. That's how much He loves you, all of you, as children of God. And then He gives these marvelous words to Mary. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, "'Do not cling to Me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to My brothers and say to them, I am ascending to My Father and your Father, to My God and your God. Don't, don't just cling to Me externally, Mary, as, as though this is, this is it, what it is to commune with Me, to stay with Me. I'm going to ascend to the Father. As the King of glory, the first fruits of the resurrection, I'm going to be seated on the throne of heaven, Mary. But I'm going to reveal myself to you. I will be with you. I will send my spirit. But Jesus has already said by his spirit way back in Deuteronomy, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm not going to abandon you. You've been adopted into my family. Jesus says, You're not just my disciples, you're my brothers and sisters. My Father is your Father. My God is your God. Well, the beautiful fruit of this in Mary is that she is just picked up off the ground and filled with relief, with joy, with comfort, and we see as she's spiritually revived, she is happy. She's filled with joy to go and do what Jesus calls her to do. This is true again in our lives, too, as, as God revives us by His Word and Spirit, our desire to love Him and serve Him is revived, too. And so, so Mary delights to, to go, and she, she went, and she announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that He had said these things to her. Well, in verses 19 through 31, we, verse, uh, through 29, we see now Jesus revealing Himself to the other disciples. And we don't have time to consider it all in detail this morning together. But the great grace, the great kindness of Jesus, His love and tenderness, as the good shepherd of the sheep, is just beautifully unfolded through the rest of this chapter. It's true this chapter vindicates, it verifies the reality of His resurrection the fact that He's paid the price for sin, He's made that once for all atonement. We see in these verses that Jesus is the living one, the one who died, who lives forevermore. Well, turn with me to verse 19. Verse 19, we're brought to the evening of that day, that day which was the first Sunday, the Lord's Day. Jesus has met with Mary in the morning. Now we have the evening, this first day of the week, 
The disciples are now mostly together, with the exception of Thomas. They're inside a house with the doors locked. They're afraid of the Jews and uh, legitimate fear, right? If, if uh, the Jews have just crucified Jesus, the disciples are thinking, we're probably next. They're fearful. The doors are locked, and Jesus comes. And what is he doing? Again, he's coming to his sheep. He's pursuing his church. He's devoted to his church. And Jesus came and stood among them, verse 19, and said to them, peace be with you. Such kindness and grace. Here are the men who deserted him in his greatest suffering. And before that, a bunch of them who fell asleep in his agony of prayer and couldn't even stay up to pray for a while. Men who are filled with despair and fear, and Jesus comes and speaks tenderly to them. He shows them his hands, his side. He lets them see and know it really is me. The one who died is risen. And we see Jesus blesses them with the Spirit. He calls them into the great commission to go out and proclaim this good news. So we go through the text, jumping forward to verse 24. We read there that the next Sunday, the disciples gathered together again, and this time Thomas is there. Thomas, who also, like all the rest of the disciples, failed to remember, failed to believe Jesus' word. But in Thomas's case, it's to the extent that, that he sees Jesus as just having been a failure. Thomas has abandoned all hope. He knows that Jesus died on the cross. He's heard these accounts from Mary and from some of the other disciples. He just doesn't believe it. He's given himself to flat cynicism. If we could describe Thomas like a plant, Thomas is like a plant in the midst of the summer that has wilted. It's laying on parched ground. It is flat. It looks dead. It's almost entirely dead. He's cynical. He's hopeless. He's filled with unbelief. He's dead to the word that other Christians are bringing to him. As they're trying to encourage them, he's dead to it. He just won't listen. He won't hear it. And again, there's good application for us here. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we might be ministering to someone who we love, and they just seem dead to the word. They, they once seemed to trust in Jesus, and they've gone through some traumatic uh, thing, something's happened and they seem flat and dead. Well, in those cases, where is our hope for them? Well, the hope is in Jesus, in His power, because look at what Jesus can do with Thomas. Jesus comes again. He knows Thomas is there, and He's coming for Thomas. And as he appears, Jesus declares peace to them again. Marvelous words to sinners. Peace with God. God's welcome, God's rest declared to the disciples, including Thomas sitting there. 
The pursuing care, the great love of Jesus is, is beautiful here, His devotion. And He so graciously brings Thomas with all his doubt and distrust to himself. And he says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, put it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And as Jesus speaks those words, they are words of renewal of life into Thomas, and Thomas now also proclaims, my Lord and my God. Thomas goes to being, you could say, from as close as you can be to being utterly spiritually dead as a believer, dull, hard, and lifeless, to being filled with wonder and worship, happiness, renewed life in Christ. This is our Savior. He loves to pursue sinners. He cares for His sheep. He delights to give new life to those who are dead, to those who are weary, to those who are despondent. In fact, that's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why He died in agony, so that He could accomplish all things that were needed to give you and me forgiveness cleansing new life that is eternal, and take away the sting of death, so that we can also have that hope and assurance that, yes, unless He returns first, the day will come that we will all breathe our last breath. But He is the resurrection and the life, and we will go to be with Him because He is faithful and powerful and strong. Jesus loves His sheep. He speaks, and they hear His voice, and they see, and they believe. Well, this is such a reminder to us as a church. You know, the ministry of the church at Harvest cannot run on the devotion of the ministers and elders to the church. It cannot, and it does not. In our families, our marriages, the shepherding of our children… Our own lives cannot run on the energy of our own devotion. It's true for our friendships. We try to witness to people. If we're trying to do it simply through our own power, as good as it is to be devoted and to love other people, it takes more than that. What we need is what Jesus is. We need Him. Uh, sometimes I think we're weary in life for this reason. We're trying to do what Jesus alone can do. We have a calling. Jesus sends out the disciples. He gives them His Spirit. We have a calling to witness, to proclaim the gospel. But it is the power of God unto salvation. And so, what do we need to do? Look to Jesus. He's more than sufficient for you and me in all of our mess of sin. He's more than sufficient for everybody around us in all of their mess of sin. He's more than sufficient for all of the people in our community who are lost in sin, in the snared in the lies of our culture. And He is good, and He is faithful, and He delights to save 
everyone who comes to Him. Well, the apostle tells us these words in verse 29. Jesus said this to Thomas, Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. And then verse 31, These things are written so that you might believe. Brothers and sisters, believe it. Take hold of it. Our Savior is the risen one. We will see Him face to face. He is faithful. He is sufficient for everything that we need. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we bow before You. We thank You, Lord Jesus, for all that You are. We thank You that Your love is strong. It is powerful. It is sovereign. O Lord, we thank You that You have revived us so many times. Uh, For all of us here who are Christians, Lord, we can testify to it, to Your goodness, to Your mercy. Lord, we pray for brothers and sisters among us here this morning who are just weary, who maybe are clouded by despair, Lord, who see so much darkness. We pray, O God, that You would revive them with the joy and peace of believing in You and seeing You and knowing You. God, we pray for friends who are with us here this morning uh, who are not yet Christians. God, we pray that Your powerful Word of life would echo in our hearts and minds today. You would draw them to Yourself, to new life with us. How we thank You that You, Lord Jesus, went to the cross for our sin, that You delight to shepherd us. You are faithful through everything. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you would increase our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing in response at number 271, sing choirs of New Jerusalem, and that should be up on the screen.
Receive now the blessing of our risen Savior, our triune God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and remain with you all. Amen. Thank you.